Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 67. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today I'm bringing you an interview with someone who spends a lot of time working with her clients in groups. Katie May is a Philadelphia area therapist who works with teens and she specializes in using DBT groups in her work with teens. So she uses a lot of mindfulness as well as yoga and she helps teens with depression, anxiety, trauma, loss, suicidal thoughts, self-harming behaviors, low self-esteem, and family conflict. Katie agreed to talk with me as part of the trauma and attachment series because connection in groups is all about attachment. Our attachment and family of origin, communication, and relationship dynamics all play out in groups and the, the healing that can happen there is very powerful. So let's not waste any more time. Let's listen to my interview with Katie May. And following this episode, you can hear about some groups that I'm starting in March, 2017. Hi, welcome back to therapy chat. Today, I'm really happy to be talking with someone who I think of as a group guru, Katie May. Katie, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat today. Hi, Laura. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You and I connected because you are a group guru. You offer a lot of groups in your private practice, and you've been talking with some of us therapists about how we can incorporate more groups into our practices. So it was natural for you to come on Therapy Chat and talk about how groups work. Like, I think a lot of people who are thinking about therapy don't necessarily even realize that they can go to a therapy or support group and what that is. So I'd love if we can talk about that today. Absolutely. Yes. I'm glad that you said that. I do consider myself the group guru because groups are such a big part of what I do in my practice. And it's interesting because I'll have people call 
you know, looking for support for their teens. I work exclusively with teens in my practice and, and they'll think, you know, my teen needs an individual therapist and maybe they do, but I also like to educate them on the benefits of group because I think that there are things that a group can provide that individual therapy alone cannot. And it makes me really excited to be able to call together um, groups of clients into this powerful container that catalyzes change. Like they come in feeling like nobody understands them, feeling like they're alone, feeling like there's no hope for their experience. And then the process of being able to hear the experiences of other people, hear how they can relate to the feelings that others in the group are experiencing can actually start to begin the healing process, you know, as they're talking out what's happening for them. Mm, That's so beautiful, because I know that feeling of being alone, and certainly, I know in my practice, and it's similar for you, I believe that we work with a lot of people who've experienced trauma, that trauma makes you feel like you're the only one who's going through what you're going through. Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the beautiful things about group therapy for me, at least, you know, I know when I do my individual work and I have some individual clients as well, is that I'll be spending time normalizing their experience saying like, you know, it's normal to feel this way. It makes sense that you feel this way in the situation. So I'm spending a lot of time validating how they feel and telling them it's normal to feel that way, given what they're going through. And I think that, you know, we need to do that work up front before we can go to that deeper level and really help them work through it. So by bringing them into a group and hearing from others that, that it is normal, that others are experiencing these feelings and others have gone through similar situations, it does that part of the work for you so that we can begin to go to that deeper level. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does to me. And I think, um, I'd like to talk about that a little more because, um, some people who are listening, if they are someone who's never even considered a group for a way to receive and participate in therapy, they may not know exactly what you mean. But I certainly get that, um, you know, normalizing the experience of having the normal reaction to trauma. It's something that has to happen in therapy. And it's part of how you realize that what you went through is you feel the way anyone would who went through that. Right. So Let's let's just back up a little bit and talk about how you use groups in your practice, because I know you that's much of what you do. You spend a lot of time working with groups. So um, can you just tell the people who are listening how that looks? Yes. So right now I offer five groups in my practice, soon to be six, and there's I offer several different kinds of groups. I have my teen therapy group, which is a process group, but what it looks like is that teens come in, we sit in a circle, I cap my groups at eight because I want to make sure that everybody has a voice and everybody feels heard and I don't want them to get too big. And so what we do is we start with a check-in and everyone gets an opportunity to share. Now, this can be something I'm celebrating this week, something I need support on that I'm struggling with this week, a high and a low of my week. I give them different options, but they know that it's their time to share and they can share what they'd like to share. And so we go around the circle with these shares, but I always like to mention that it's not just, you know, one person shares, then the next person shares, and then like going down the line, there's interaction as they're sharing that someone else is chiming in, like, oh, I've had that experience, or, you know, that really stinks that you feel that way. I can relate, that that doesn't feel good. So 
relating to each other and connecting in the process. And sometimes I'm helping them connect. I might say like, Jane, didn't you have something similar happen to you a few weeks ago? So that they can begin to connect with each other because I believe that that connection is so important that people tend to, you know, be more resilient and be happier and less anxious and less depressed when they have strong social ties and a strong network of support. So that connection part is really important. And that's one of the main reasons that I do the groups. Um, so that is one type of the group that I offer. Another type is my DBT skills group. And DBT stands for dialectical behavior therapy. And it's it's a set of skills that are meant to support people going through self-harm and self-destructive behaviors. So what that one is more structured, where we start with a mindfulness. There's a homework that they're doing each week to practice a skill in their home environment. And then they're, I'm doing a direct teach, and they're learning a new skill each week to add to this toolbox that they have of skills to help them in their lives. Now, your DBT skills group um... And I know DBT is often recommended for especially teens, but people who have self-harming behaviors like you mentioned, like cutting, um, maybe eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Drug and alcohol use as well sometimes. Yeah. So um, is that like a once a week group? Yes. So uh, the DBT model recommends once a week group therapy along with once a week individual therapy and a a team a consultation team for the therapist there's all these components Mm -hmm. all of my groups are once a week I have some members that have opted to do both groups so they get kind of um, the support and the processing and the sharing of the therapy group and then the skills in the dbt group and they get a more well-rounded treatment program that way but Mm -hmm. um I think that at least weekly is beneficial for group because that's how group members are beginning to build trust. You know, coming in every other week or coming in on a drop-in basis, you're not building trust and building the relationship. And I think it's important to invest in the process and show up each week so that you're building trust and you're creating stronger bonds. Yeah. Is it hard for people to be able to make it to group weekly? Like, do you see that people are able to make that fit? It hasn't been an issue. I mean, I we go through a process, you know, when I connect with someone new who's in need of group support, I make sure that it's something that they can commit to because I want to make sure that they're not just dropping in and that they're emotionally invested in the process too. So I make sure it's a good fit up front. And for the most part, you know, people commit to coming every single week. I've had teens wake their parent up from a nap and say, hey, it's time for my group. We have to go now. I've had teens get a part-time job to pay for group themselves if parents couldn't pay for it. You know, they're really invested in the process. And of course, life happens. You know, there's uh, sports practice one week or, you know, there's a school orchestra concert one week. So here and there, teens are missing group. But for the most part, I see them pretty consistently on a weekly basis. And most teens stay one to two years in the group. Oh, wow. So um, like the groups you just mentioned, would those groups run for that length of time? Yeah. So my groups are open and ongoing, which means that, you know, it's rolling admission and that there's no set time of when people can start and end. And they tend to, you know, start when it's right for them and then complete their time when it's right for them. My DBT skills group, it's a 10 month program where because it's, um, it's a treatment manual and there's a specific set of skills that they go through. It takes 10 months to go through all of the skills in my program. So I recommend that they stay for at least 10 months. 
Um, but most sign on for a second cycle after that. And my teen therapy group has been just a wonderful support for teens in the community. And I, we, I leave it up to them. You know, we'll do check-ins about, is this still a helpful level of support for you? Is this still where you, you feel is right for you to be? And most of them do want to stay for one to two years. Um, I've had some, some people sign on for like just the summer or just a school year, but that's more rare than people wanting long-term support. Wow, that's so interesting. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. And so, and when you said process group, um, for the first group that you talked about, your therapy group, mm-hmm. can you help people understand what really process group means? Yes, absolutely. So by process group, I mean, it's like talk therapy in a group setting. They come in and they talk about something that's happening for them. And then we process it. You know, we um, go back and forth and talk about it and understand it, um, gain more insight around the situation, come up with some helpful coping skills sometimes, and really just talk through it together. So when I say process group, I really mean talking through the situation and helping them see it in a different way or come to an outcome that's more helpful by the time they leave the group. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you for explaining that. Cause, uh, you know, I'm, I'm asking for myself, like for specifics on <laughs> what you, what you, um, do in those groups, but also I think some people just don't know these terms and I think it's sure. probably helpful. So, um, you have five groups. Do you find that people, there are some barriers to joining groups? Like there are certain things that make people feel hesitant? I absolutely do. I think that there are several things that make people hesitant. Um, I guess the first one that I would think is that most people, when they think about therapy, they think about, you know, one-on-one individual support. And so when people are calling for support, they're most times calling for individual support, unless they've been somewhere previously where there's group support. Like I see a lot of clients that come from a psychiatric hospital or an intensive outpatient, which is like three or four days of group during the week for um, higher level of care support. So those people tend to know how beneficial group is. But if you're coming, if you've never seen a therapist before, if you're not sure what to expect, the picture that you have in your mind is, you know, I'm sitting on a couch, I'm talking one-to-one with a therapist. So I think that's the first barrier is just that people don't really know about group therapy or, or what the benefits of it are. And then I would say in addition to that is that feeling of vulnerability. One of the questions I get a lot is, you know, are there other kids from my school here? Will I know anyone? So it, in some ways it feels really vulnerable and maybe even unsafe for someone to share something that's going on in their lives if they're afraid that somebody else that they know is going to be there or somebody else that goes to their school is going to share their secrets at school. So um, I think that that's probably where some resistance comes from is, you know, am I going to know someone? Am I going to feel comfortable sharing in front of other people? Maybe I'm embarrassed. Maybe I'm nervous to say it in front of just you. So then having an audience of people is going to make it even harder. Um, that so seems I think, like a big one to me. Yeah, I think that would be the biggest piece right there. So how do people overcome that? Do they just not join if someone else is there from their school? Well, one of the reasons not that I have so many groups is that, I'm able to kind of separate people into different groups based on school. I have had kids from the same school be in a group together and they haven't minded um, and they've actually felt more supported in that process. I've had by accident, I had teens that had previously been in a relationship in a group together, but they were comfortable with it. So it really depends. Mm -hmm. I've been able to switch, switch clients around if they're not comfortable with it. And the person who's 
been in group always has that say, like, if I, I don't feel comfortable, I know this person, we make adjustments. Um, so, and I'm really big on confidentiality, making sure that everybody in the group knows that, you know, this is a confidential and safe space and anything said within this space cannot be shared outside these walls. But confidentiality also covers that you can't even say, oh, I know Sally from group or I know Sally from Katie's office, that that's breaking confidentiality. And I take it very seriously. Um, it would be grounds for dismissal from the group if you didn't honor that confidentiality. But I've never had that issue in all of the years that I've been doing this. It's so interesting that you said that because I've seen um, teens who may have, you know, the kind of loose boundaries where they'll tell anyone anything and they, you know, they don't really feel like there's anything that's private or sacred. But when they start going to group and feel connected with their group, you would have to like torture them to get out of them anything that was said in the group you know what I mean like they just are not gonna let that out and I think that's because the relationships become so important to them and I know exactly the kind of team that you're talking about that's kind of like tell everything at first meeting you know no no qualms about putting it all out there but I think that you know when you value a relationship and you start to build trust within the group setting that it's really meaningful and it's important not to spill someone else's secrets or you know what's throw them under the bus or, you know, give, give everything away that they're sharing. So I'm glad that that happens. Yeah. And I can see how for that, that teen who, you know, typically the teen who's like that, they probably haven't had really very safe boundaries at home and they don't really have a sense that there's anything private because their boundaries are violated so often in their lives, whether it's because of, you know, an abusive home or, um, you know, just really intrusive parents or siblings who just don't honor and respect their privacy, that having that kind of sacred space in their group is just like transformative for them. Yeah, I really love the way that you said that, because it's it's true that many of these teens who, who don't have boundaries, they're not being, those boundaries aren't being maintained at home. So I think that you're right. There is this sacred space where they hold the space for each other and they hold that trust for each other and, and that that in itself can be transformative and help them heal. Yeah. I can just see that that would be, you know, like, Oh, I can have privacy. There can be some things that aren't shared. That's just, that are just mine, you know? And I think especially like for someone who's been sexually abused where, you know, their body, the control of their body is taken away from them. That can be just life-changing. Exactly. Yeah. I have had people join the group and still not buy into the group process right away. You know, I'm thinking of one client in particular, a teen boy who his first maybe six weeks was just really withdrawn and kind of had like his arms crossed and an angry face on. But when, when someone would say like, why are you angry? He'd say, I'm not, but really one word answers. And then all of a sudden he just engaged like he really started to invest in the process and share about his life and himself and take to the skills and by the end of group he said the end of he was in a dbt group so the end of the 10 weeks and he said i didn't get group when i started i didn't know what to expect but now that i've been here i completely loved it and it was an experience that has changed my life which is amazing to hear oh that is so amazing i appreciate you sharing that and you know i think as a therapist when i think about hosting groups um Sometimes I fear that it may be either too vulnerable for my client to share 
within a group and I and I worry and wonder if they'll feel comfortable and also I worry that people may may feel shame in in participating in a group that's for a certain thing like I've really held off even though trauma is my work I've held off on offering a trauma group because I have a fear that people will not want to go to a group that's called a trauma group like they'll feel ashamed you got any thoughts about that I do. I mean, I kind of see it from the other perspective that while I can understand that people may be resistant to joining a group or be fearful of it, I almost think that, you know, coming together as a group can break that stigma, can can help people see that they're not the only one who's experienced something like this. And while their situation was unique to them and their feelings and thoughts are unique to them, that being able to share in and gain the support of people who have been through something similar can be a way to help them understand that there's not something wrong with them for what's happened. Like something has happened to them, but there's nothing wrong with them. And that, you know, almost in DBT, we call it opposite action. So feeling the feeling of resistance or feeling that anxiety to share, or even feeling the shame, but instead of sitting with it and letting it um, fester on the inside, doing an action opposite to allow it to come out, which would be to join with other people, which would be to talk about it in a safe way, in a safe space where there will be support so that you begin to break free of shame that may be holding you back from fully living in your life. Yeah, I can totally see how that would be. And, you know, when I'm feeling that worried that people will feel shame, you know, I know that there's no shame in having experienced trauma, but I know that trauma could make you (laughs) feel shame. So it's sort of like that. Um, It's kind of a catch 22. But um, that's helpful to think about that opposite action concept. I like that. I don't use DBT, so I'm I'm learning from your sure <laughs> <laughs> your strategies right now. I think it's a set of skills that everyone can benefit from. When I learned it, when I went through the I went through a year long training, and and I was like, wow, like some of the stuff I've been doing, and I didn't know that it had a name, and some of the stuff is just it's really practical, and I'm going to start using it in my life. So I love being able to bring that in and share with other people too. Yeah, thank you for that. So if someone was wanting to find a group let's say someone who's listening right now is like well I'm hearing all these great things about how groups can be helpful but I don't wouldn't know where to begin if I wanted to find a group for myself like what are some things that people should look for and take into consideration when they're looking for a a group to join so there are so many things to consider because there are so many different kinds of groups Um, I would say if you're looking for a group, Psychology Today, that online directory of therapists, they do advertise groups on there and you may be able to do your research as to you know who's offering what kind of group and whether it's right for you. And then just thinking about you know, what you're presently challenged with. You know, is it depression? Is it anxiety? Do you need more help with social skills? Is it a trauma? So really thinking about what your biggest challenges are and then considering what kind of group might be able to support that. And I think that a therapist could probably best support, you know, leading you to what kind of group would be best because there are open groups like mine that are ongoing that you can join in at any time and that, you know, there's existing members and new members will roll in as as space permits. There are also closed groups. There are sometimes like six or eight week groups that are really um, based around a specific topic or skill or 
diagnosis that you might be struggling with to give you um, more specific treatment and um, protocols for how to handle that thing exactly, whereas some are more general. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I would think, um, because you mentioned like a male client, and you've talked about your teen girl groups, do people usually look for groups that are, you know, mixed co-ed or one gender? How's that go? I think it it depends a lot on your comfort level. So I offer different groups because it makes sense to do so. I have my Thursday nights are my teen girls night. I do a teen therapy group, which is my talk therapy process group. And I do a teen DBT group that's all girls. And I do that for a reason because some girls need that safe space. There's a lot of girls in those groups who have had a trauma, who don't feel comfortable around um, teen boys at at this point in their life to be able to share freely. And so I wanted to create that safe space for them. Whereas others, um, they want the ability to connect with both genders. I have some trans transgender teens in some of my groups. So be, having you know, kind of a well-rounded perspective of both genders is helpful for other teens. It really depends on a personal preference and your comfort level. And I want to be clear, you know, I talk about my teen girls group. I talk about my co-ed teen group. I have teens in all of my groups and they're all inclusive. You know, some teens that identify as gender fluid, some teens that identify as transgender, some teens that are still questioning and not sure where they are in that process. And there is a group for everyone based on how they're coming in and they're, you know, it's a way for everyone to feel supported, you know, despite how they identify or what label they put on themselves, that they're all welcome within the group setting. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying that. Cause I know I heard the inclusiveness and in what you were saying, but I think it's nice to be explicit too, so that people can hear. Yes. All are welcome and um, know that we're talking to you too. Yes. So are there any other considerations? Are there certain situations where people should do individual therapy first before they join a group or they should make sure they have an individual therapist while they're going to group? Like how do you, what do you tell people about that? So I don't have a set rule because I have such a mixture in my groups that there are some teens that don't connect with individual therapy or don't feel like it's the right fit for them. They don't like to be one-on-one -on -one and they just come to group. And as long as there's no really severe issues, I find that to be appropriate. You know, they're getting support on a weekly basis. And if anything ever came up that I felt like they needed more support, um, I would reach out to their parents or I would talk to them and say, hey, I think that you need more than this. There are teens that see an individual therapist every week and then come to group as a supplement to that so that they can get um, more support than just individual therapy alone. When I see clients, I tend to see them, well, I see a lot of them just in group, but when I'm seeing them individually, I tend to see them every other week in individual and weekly for the group. So they're getting six points of contact every month. Um, some of them I will see weekly for group and weekly for individual, you know, if they're just starting out and they have a need for more support. So to answer your original question, which was, I think, are there some people that may need individual support before they join a group? Yes, I would say so. I think that, you know, if you're having difficulty making it through your day and coping effectively with any part of your life and you feel like you're falling apart all the time and that you just couldn't even um, share that within a group, it's not going to be the right fit for you that, that, you know, maybe you can work up to that or maybe you're just way too anxious to start there and it's going to sabotage treatment by putting you in a group when you're not ready to share so there are a lot of things to take into consideration, um, and that's why proper screening and intake is so important to really figure out 
who's the right fit for group and is this the right time for group? Okay, so even for your open groups, there's some kind of screening process. People don't just show up on the day of the group and and start right there. Oh, yes, yes. There is a screening process. Before I accept anyone into the group, I have a phone call with the parents, which I spend, you know, sometimes half hour, 45 minutes on the phone with the parents. And then I meet with the teen in my office for a full uh, 45-minute intake session because I think it's really important because I want to make sure that I'm the right fit to work with them. I want to make sure that they're the right fit to match, you know, what I do in the office. And I want to make sure that whatever group I'm placing them in, that their personalities align, that what they need from the group is something they'll get from the group I'm placing them in. Because, you know, it is about support and connection. But I think that there's, there's, um, that I need to be careful about where I place someone, you know, if if someone's really, um, I guess, blunt and more verbally aggressive or sarcastic, I wouldn't put them in a group with a bunch of teens who are really sensitive. And so I want to be careful about how I place people so that everyone feels supported and it feels like the right fit. That's a great point, what you just said, because I think that's, that's what I think that maybe me, maybe when I was younger, what I worried about if I were um, with working with a group is that if um, there was one person who was kind of like, caustic and other people were really hurt by that like how to how to manage that so that everyone feels safe and you know but that person's still able to express themselves too right and I think to some extent you know if that does happen within the group because obviously we all say things sometimes that maybe they come out differently than how we mean them that the group is then a great place to process that in a safe way to say okay you know Isabella you said this like this is that what you meant and um, I don't know. I can't think of fake names right now. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy, did you, you know, how did you take that and how did it feel? So having this like, um, controlled environment to be able to understand this is the impact I have on other people. When I say things like this, that can be helpful too. So there's a careful screening process, but again, as life unfolds in the therapy office, it's a great way to practice how to handle it differently outside the office and understand how, how it's actually affecting people. That's a great example because I think, you know, so many of us can be very conflict avoidant and um, conflict in communication. It's just a part of communication. You have to learn how to navigate it. And group can be a really safe way for, on both both parties. So for the, you know, if a person feels really offended by something the other person said, it can be a safe way for them to express that and say, you know, I didn't like that practice being a little more assertive or, you know, speaking up for themselves and the other person can practice empathy and, you know, realizing, Oh, I don't like it when I make someone else feel bad with my words, you know? Right. Absolutely. I had an experience in group a couple months ago where somebody said something not meaning to be insulting, but it was said in a, a sarcastic way that offended other people. Um, I think it was something or I mean, the election brings up a lot for people and even the teens get fired up about it. So somebody had said something and someone else didn't like it. I had somebody walk out and just out of discomfort for, you know, the back and forth comments. And then when that person walked back in, we really processed like, how do we handle disagreements and how do we handle it if we don't agree? And how do people express anger and how do you express anger within your homes? And it, it blossomed into such an amazing discussion that then you know, there were, there were these things flying back and forth at first, but then everyone was laughing together at the end. And you could almost feel like everyone a little lighter as they left the office that night, like something had been brewing and it came to a head and, and then it dissipated and it was really beautiful. 
Oh, that is so cool. Thank you for these examples. It's very Absolutely. like, I know I'm, I'm just being able to picture how that would be and how powerful it is for the participants. Right. Right. So the last thing I want to say about, um, groups and ask you about, you mentioned how connection is so important. And I know, um, I told you before we started recording that I've had experiences myself where, you know, being in a group situation that I hadn't really thought of ahead of time as like, this will be a group, like not a therapy group or something, but just like, maybe I'm in a training and suddenly they go, let's all get in a circle and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh, whoa, whoa. (laughs) And (laughs) start getting like, Oh, uh, you know, I'm not going to share my feelings here. And, you know, just all these like conflicts that go on within us where we're like, yeah, these people aren't going to understand the way I feel about something or how much of myself do I want to reveal here and thinking about, um, you know, whether I'm isolating myself or am I, you know, thinking that I'm this um, special flower that no one else can relate to. And um, you are a special flower. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) We all are. (laughs) So maybe I should say this lone wolf that who's standing by herself on this mountain and the pack is down at the bottom and I'm saying, uh, you know, they don't get me. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And then when I start, um, you know, just relaxing out of my anxiety and noticing what's happening and listening and feeling with what other people are saying. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've never felt so understood. Like I love these people. And, you know, even in a short, within one day, maybe even a couple hours together in a, in some training where they use a group process like that for an experiential training, it's so powerful. It's totally powerful. And I think, I mean, It's interesting to me as well, um, and I'll self-disclose here a little bit, like I grew up as a very socially anxious person, Um, you know, just based on my family of origin and my history, really thinking that I didn't like to be around people and being a lone wolf and kind of be, you know, having my small group of friends, but being off on my own and doing a lot on my own. And it was only later in life that, you know, working with a therapist at the time that I recognized that connection is so important to me. And it was just the nature of the connections that I had had in my past that made me hesitant to do that again. Mm. So I think that when we can open ourselves up, I, you know, there's more and more research that says that we are social creatures by nature, that there's this idea of the social brain that, you know, when we're with other people who are doing things that inspire us, then we feel inspired and we're able to, um, you know, do more in our lives. When we're with people that are really sad and anxious, that we tend to take on that stress, that it's hard sometimes to create boundaries between us that there's like a group think that happens. So I think that it makes sense to feel nervous going into a situation where you don't know someone. It makes sense to have some level of anxiety before, you know, entering a group setting where you're not sure what to expect, but that when you can open yourself up to that process, that amazing things can happen. I like to start all of my new groups with an activity where I just go through certain questions and I raise um, the level of personal information on each question. So for example, I might start by saying, okay, everybody stand up or everybody raise your hand or everybody take a step if you have a sibling. And then I might say like, everybody raise your hand if you have ever felt sad. So I keep going up and up. You know, I might even go to everyone raise your hand if you've ever had suicidal thoughts. So what I like about this process is that you're coming into a group where you don't know anyone, you don't know what to expect, you don't trust anyone yet. And then you're able to see 
I'm not so alone. Like even if that person looks alternative and that person plays six sports and that person looks nothing like me at all, I know that on some level we've all had these experiences and that's why we're here together. So thinking about you going into a training, like you don't know anyone or what to expect and everybody looks different, but you all have some shared common experience that can bring you together. Yeah. And I think I, I love everything you just said. And I think that, like you said, it's normal to be nervous when you go into a new situation and think you're the only one. I love the examples you shared of how you show them right off the bat that they're among other people with similar experiences. Right. Um, but if we can understand that that feeling of being alone is just like what I said about being a lone wolf, like that was just me being anxious in the situation and the way I related based on my family of origin, just like you said. Um, but, but that's not real. It's not true that they don't get me and they can't understand me and that I have nothing in common with them and they're not worth me spending my effort slash allowing myself to be vulnerable <laughs> to let them get to know me. Right. Um, that's not real. That's just my anxiety telling me that because of, you know, stories I have about, will I be heard? Will, do I matter? Will I be met? You know? Absolutely. So I think, you know, what a lot of us don't do is that examination of what are these feelings? What are the thoughts? What's the story? We're just reacting to it. Yes. And I like to, you know, I work with a lot of teens who feel like they don't belong, who feel like nobody gets them, who are, you know, depressed and isolated. And I like to encourage them to look for commonalities. So I have a lot of teens that just went from eighth grade into a high school where there's a lot of people that they don't know and thinking like, well, nobody's going to like me, you know, nobody gets me. They like, they're all about like who likes music and who dresses what way. So like they like rap and I like rock. And so I like to encourage them to look for what you have in common rather than trying to list all of the things that are different about each of you because everyone's different. But when we start looking for you know, focusing on the donut instead of the whole, focusing on what's there instead of what's not there, then we can start to create connections. And they don't all have to be, you know, your best friends, but starting to create connections and making eye contact with people and smiling and, you know, all of these other little tricks to help you feel more connected to people. I love it. Well, I think that people who are listening have probably become sold on why they should join a group and um, they're all going to, you know, once this ends, they're all going to go online and start searching for groups in their area. But if people wanted to work with you in a group, um, how can they do that? Absolutely. So if you are in the Philadelphia area, I offer groups um, right outside of Philadelphia in Flower Town, and I have five groups running right now, all for teens. You can feel free to check out my website. It's www.creativehealingphilly.com, and you can see the range of services that I have on there. And because groups are my passion, and I feel so strongly that groups can save the world, that when we're all connected, when we feel connected to each other, that the world will be a better place. I actually also teach therapists how to create, fill, and run groups, because I think that the more therapists that run groups, the better we all can feel supported. So if you're interested in learning more about how to create groups and how to market and fill groups in your practice, please feel free to reach out to me. You can email me directly at Katie K May, K-A-T-I-E, K-M-A-Y, at live.com. Awesome. 
that's why we call Katie the group's guru because she is and she knows so much. Um, you you really um, have a wealth of information to share about, obviously, not only your knowledge and experience with groups and why you love them, but how therapists can incorporate more groups into their practices. Because I think like, like I'm projecting that our listeners are thinking, I'm certainly feeling very fired up about groups right now myself. So just from our conversation, and um, I'm really excited about what you're offering. I'm so glad you're sharing your knowledge so we can add more groups out there in the world. Well, thank you. I'm really excited about it too. Awesome. Well, Katie, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm hoping to uh, continue our connection in person soon, IRL. I would agree. I'm looking forward to that too, Laura. (laughs) All right. You take care. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. Thanks for listening to my interview with Katie May. If you're a therapist, you're probably feeling pretty fired up about running some groups in your own practice right now. I know I was certainly feeling that way after our interview. And if you're a person who is considering continuing your therapeutic journey by participating in a group, I hope you've been inspired to learn about some of the ways that groups can be helpful for you. As always, I'm grateful to all of you who listen. Thank you for your listening, your feedback, your ratings and reviews, your subscribing. All of those things help Therapy Chat be found on iTunes and the other places that it's hosted. And I'm grateful for each and every one of you. Stay tuned for some information about groups that I have going on starting in March 2017. Hey, this is Laura Reagan. I wanted to talk with you for a minute about connection, community, and groups. I've had several experiences recently which have shown me that there's a different type of healing that happens in groups. One of the main points 
that we focus on in individual therapy is creating a safe space, repairing attachment through the therapeutic relationship. And people can talk about things in individual therapy sessions that they feel very ashamed about. If they trust that their therapist won't judge them. And that's deeply powerful. And yet, doing the same thing in a group is very powerful in its own way. It's harder because you don't know the people in the group as well, or you don't have the necessarily the time to create the same type of connection that's solely focused on you like you do in individual therapy. In fact, it's more mutual like real relationships. The individual therapy experience recreates the attachment, repairing the attachment where the parent is focused on the child and it's one-sided. It's mutual love, but it's focused on the child. In groups, people practice connecting with reciprocity attending to one another's needs and being attended to both. So that's different. And I have had a few group experiences over the past few years that have kind of shown me a lot about myself, the way I show up, how my trust issues play a role, and how scary it can be to feel supported by other people. As scary as it can be, it's deeply powerful. And it's something that is just different from individual therapy. You heard in my interview with Katie K. May how group work is just different from individual therapy work. I'm a certified Daring Way facilitator, which is the shame resiliency method based on the research of Brene Brown. And I'm offering a couple of Daring Way groups this spring of 2017. So if you want information about these groups, maybe you'd like to be a part of them. If you're in the Baltimore, Maryland area, visit my website. And if you go to work with me and then groups, you'll see a place to sign up and get on the email list of people who want information on groups. The Daring Way work is something that can bring up a lot of very deep issues, including trauma that you may not have been aware was there. And it's important to be at a certain stage in your own healing process before you start doing that kind of work in a group if you have trauma. And almost all of us have some kind of trauma. So there's a screening process to make sure that all the members of the group are a good fit and individual therapy is available for people who have not done that level of healing work yet and aren't ready to join the group yet, but may be interested in doing so in the future. So if you're interested in groups and you want to find out about the deep connections that can be created there, 
visit my website, Laura Reagan LCSWC, and click on Work With Me, and there you'll find groups. And you can sign up for the email list to get all the information about the groups that I intend to begin in March. I'm planning on having a daytime and an evening Daring Way group, and possibly a Daring Way group for therapists if there's enough interest. Thanks so much. And one more thing I'd like to tell you about is that if you are a trauma therapist looking for support and community, my trauma therapist community is still open for registration until January 27, 2017. LauraReaganLCSWC.com/join for all the details. Thank you for listening to the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, visit Laura's website at 